So thank you again for joining me here on the Urantia Radio Podcast. My name is Jim. It's always a pleasure to have you come by and, and hang out for a little while and talk about what is a pretty significant uh, collection of information and writings, the Urantia Book, the fifth epical revelation. And I hope that uh, all is well with you and, and what you're doing. And hopefully you've had time during these 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 periods to really dive into the Urantia book. And there's just so much there to explore all the time. The, the knowledge, the peace of mind that comes from the book, the ability to sort of get some perspective when you read about certain periods. And some of that we'll talk about today. As you know, last time we focused on part one. There's four parts of the Urantia book. And as many of us know who are familiar with the book, part one specifically talks about the central universe. Part two talks about the local universe, which is what we'll discuss today. And then part three of the book details the history of our world, our planet, the history of Urantia. And then part four, the last segment, is the life and teachings of Jesus, his complete life, including a, a narrative which talks about the, the preparation that was made for the bestowal son to come here and incarnate as a child, as a babe, literally a babe. And then, of course, the, uh, the birth of Jesus or Joshua, his growing up and his uh, relationships that he developed as a youth, followed by his experiences as a young man, and then culminating in the beginnings of his public ministry, including the choosing of his apostles. And then lastly, which is also fascinating in the book, because we're looking at a history book, in many ways the Arantia book is a history book. It is, and that's why I think it starts in the way that it does. It starts from the beginning, and then we move outward, and also in, not only in, in, in space, but in time. And we talk, and the book talks a lot about having that double perspective, uh, that looking at creation from the perspective of space, which is where we find the Trinity and the beginnings of things, but also the beginnings of Havona. And we, we remember that this, and it's, it's almost impossible for any human being to conceive of this, but imagine a billion perfect Earth-sized uh, spheres coming into existence at the same moment that the Trinity becomes complete uh, as, as the Trinity, which is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, coming into completion, which is, is well nigh impossible to comprehend because theoretically there's never been a time when the Trinity did not exist. But at that moment when Havona came into a, uh, existence as, as perfected spheres, models literally, Models of what would soon inhabit in the seven and the seven different universes that are currently spawning life, and then that pattern gets echoed in what's to come in the future when the first outer ring of creation starts to assemble and life starts to appear and souls of of ascendant potential start to appear and and God's infinite spirit continues to move outward at his at his will. Remember, all of this is, is, is on the will of God to expand upon experiential perfection. 
and we are a part of that process. So in part two of the Arantia book, which details our local universe, things come home more to us because this is, in reality, where we're going to experience a great deal of our ascendant careers. And it's giving us this information uh, mainly because it's filling in a lot of the gaps. Remember that the history of our planet, which we'll get more into depth in the next podcast, really delves into not only our evolution as a species, but certain events that have thwarted thwarted our development. And so the Orangia book in many ways is trying to compensate for the deficiencies that we have in our history and in the universe at large. There's, there's much we don't know about the universe. And the, and the authors of the Orangia book have been mandated to present that knowledge to us. And that is the revelation. So here we are in part two now, and it's talking about the creation of Michael. And obviously, Michael is incarnate Jesus. So he is a literal creator son. There's only one in each local universe, which comprises up towards 10 million worlds of, of evolutionary time and space creatures like ourselves. Now, to set the stage of this, you know, remember, and I think I did the math once, and it seemed to me, it doesn't say this that I'm aware of, but feel free to comment if you'd like. It seems to me that for about one every ten, out of every ten suns, there seems to be one sun that, and I'm talking about a solar orb, that produces life forms. So I think God likes to have a lot of elbow room. You know what I mean? In other words, it doesn't have to be where every sun produces. You know, suns serve different purposes. Solar orbs are also a conduit or energy directional. They make energy move in certain ways. We know from some of the writings in part one and two of the Arantia book that the suns are energy systems and they're used for things above and beyond sustaining life forms in solar systems like we, like us. Uh, and they serve a lot of different purposes. Um, and so anyway, part two sort of delves into the creation of our local universe of Nebadon, including, you know, Michael and the divine uh, daughter of the infinite spirit. Uh, and then we have Gabriel, who's the firstborn of this union of, of two incredibly high spirit personalities. They actually come into existence a spirit form, and Gabriel is that spirit form, and he is sort of the representative. So let me read, you know, at least my dissertation of what part two encompasses. So while part one of the Urantia book details the central universe and its historic beginnings and purposes, part two takes us into our own neighborhood, the local universe, where we as human beings ascend, starting from our home world, which is Earth, and then from here our personality, our soul, moves on to the system worlds of Mansonia, nor is Jesus referred to it, in my Father's house are many mansions. And that's the name designate that they give to us of this place, relating it to, the, the you know, the own, Jesus' own term, mansion. It's still a word symbol, but it's one that's appropriate to us, Mansonia. So when we awake, will they call it Mansonia? Welcome to Mansonia? Well, we don't know, but we'll know symbolically where we are. Uh, the system comprises, now the system is Jerusalem, 
and Jerusalem is the headquarters of the system. It's a, it's a giant sphere. I think it's either about the size of Jupiter or more. And it has, what, 490 uh, spheres that are about the size of Earth. It spin in Mansonia. There's actually seven mansion worlds. And each one of these worlds give us the ability first to, to adapt, learn language, be educated, uh, be, fit in, and, and also adjust to this new sort of quasi Marancha life. We're, not, we're no longer just physical beings. I mean, we're still physical in nature, but we have much greater perception. We see farther. Uh, our energy intake is different, but it's just as pleasurable, as, as they explain in part two of the book. And the system comprises up to 1,000 evolutionary worlds that spawn ascendant or sentient life forms who evolve social, socially, collectively as races of men and women with spirit potential. But we also go on to have individual careers, which span from the material worlds even to the Isle of Paradise, where we have embrace, final embrace, with the Father, the God of all creation. And then we're mustered into the core of the finality, that group of ascended beings who've traversed from mortal all the way to God's embrace. And then he turns us right back around and says, now go forth and let's see, let's see what we can do together. Now, from the mansion worlds, where we receive our first training is Morancha beings. Morancha is described as a quasi-material substance that it's made of exactly double the elements of the material world. And now we're newly arrived from our material spheres. In our next form, our bodies are a kind of quasi-material form, but with enhanced capacity, as I mentioned, not only for physical and audio perception, but also for spirit perception. Uh, being able to see higher personality beings, fellow angelic helpers. Our senses are much more enhanced or attuned, uh, as our human uh, senses, our light perception, is actually quite limited in that we do not see on the higher or lower spectrums of, of light waves. Uh, for example, ultraviolet, we don't see ultraviolet, we don't see infrared. Uh, and I suspect that in the, in the Marancha form, our vision and our hearing will allow us to see and hear more variances in light waves and hear much wider and more subtle frequencies, kind of like going from mono to stereo or from black and white to color, right? So after our initial study, we go to the system capital, and I don't know how long the initial time that we spend on the mansion world. I think it, it greatly depends on our intellectual and spiritual maturity. And that's why life on Earth is, is sort of preparatory to that because we can actually determine here on earth uh, by our decisions and our motives in trying to follow God's will, uh, we can actually determine at what stage we will, uh, we will be when we arrive and we resurrect on the, on the, the heavenly mansion worlds. So, you know, uh, it's, it's sort of that point that I, I bring up to people that the here and now has everything to do with your future, your future self. And that's why it's important to pay attention. And hence, that's why the Arantia book is so spectacular, because it actually tells us this. You know, for the first time, we have something that says, look, well, not, I, I can't say that's true, because I think anybody who's religious, uh, some of the better religions of the world do tell people that this is an important part of your, you know, your soul's development. 
So anyway, moving on. So we move up to Jerusalem, which is the mother sphere of the 49 satellite worlds. And I'll correct myself because earlier I said there were 490 and I forgot that that is, that is Nebadon. That is the headquarters sphere where Michael lives, not the, the Jerusalem headquarters sphere for our system of planets represents 49 satellite worlds that circle the sphere, much like Jupiter has upwards to 30 to 40 satellites that circle Jupiter and, and certainly Saturn too. So it's not unprecedented that we can't imagine a mother sphere that has 49 worlds all about the size of, of our world circling it. And on these worlds, there are different things going on. So we know what's going on on the mansion worlds. Well, that's seven of those 49 worlds. And each of the other seven, those groups of seven, all pertain to different uh, training worlds for other kinds of beings. And some serve as the world of the suns and places for uh, very high personality beings to stay when they're here or they're visiting the system capital. So um, also in the Arantia or in the Marantia world, Mansonia 1 through 7, it's really here that we live and learn moda philosophy and where we are socialized, we have duties to perform, we are tutors, but we are also apprentices, and sometimes even having as mentors and teachers the material sons and daughters, the Adam and Eves, uh, are there in training as well. And we uh, oftentimes would be paired with these material sons and daughters. Uh, they are the material citizens. They're permanent citizens of the mansion world. They are there for the long haul, just as, as in our case, the midwayers on earth, which are also described in part two. The midwayer are the permanent citizens of, of our earth. And in the, and then on the, the higher levels in the in the uh, capital, Norlishadek, there's a group that's the phase right after this, the local system. And if I'm going too fast, I apologize. I'm jumping all over the place. But my point is that each level of universal ascension, you will meet people who are permanent personalities. They live there. They are the permanent residences of those spheres. So there's a relationship that you develop because you're just moving through. We're all ascendant where we have a destination which continues onward up up to uh the father's embrace whereas not all uh not all personalities in the universe have that journey set out for them um it's unique to the mortal experience that we have the ability to finally embrace the father and become core of the finality those high sons that have traversed the great experience differential. And now Jerusalem is also where many paradise origin personalities, the various sons of God and the Maranta teachers decide how to manage the systems of world. So there's a lot of government activity going on at Jerusalem. And we learn about this in part two of the Urantia book. It talks about the most highs ruling in the kingdoms of men here. And for ages upon ages, we may reside here and participate in all kinds of activity, all meant to stimulate personality growth, develop true spiritual insight, and a promotion of our relationship with God the Father, who resides in us as a partner through this experience, through the agency of the thought adjuster, the spirit fragment, 
And we've talked about the thought adjuster in previous podcasts, that it is the thought adjuster actually that makes it possible for us, because it is a fragment of the Father, for us to resurrect. Uh, that's your, your code to get in, I suppose, your passcode, your passport. So from Jerusalem, as it says in part two, we learn that we ascend to the constellation worlds. And this is where you'll find the permanent citizens, which are referred to as the univitatia. And for age upon age, we have relations with these groups of people. Um, and I won't go into the details, but it is a very interesting segment because uh, apparently there are grave differences between the Unifitatia and the Ascendant Mortals. Not grave in, in a negative sense, but let's just say that uh, there, there's a lot of growth involved and um, it's sort of outlined. I'll have to read, catch up on some of it. It's been some time since I've read about the constellation worlds, but we, lo- we learn a new language and we have new goals. Uh, this is where we also get more involved with the Melchizedeks. They have a much greater presence on this level or on the, and it is a physical place in the universe, by the way. Uh, the name of the world is Norlishadek. I'm sorry, that is the constellation name. We actually go to Adentia. Adentia is where the Univitatia live. And that is also where they get the name Garden of Eden. And it is a splendid sphere. The details of Adentia are very carefully outlined in part two. It is a true society of cosmic relationships with an unimaginable variation of spirit fellows. It's like going to New York City. So part two goes into more detail about different life forms and explains to us in more detail the life of angels and other personalities who have specific authority. Uh, Here we learn about Gabriel, Emmanuel, and many other beings with whom we may have some familiarity in the Bible, uh, the Ancients of Days, and so forth. Part two, also, it, uh, I should mention here, if I didn't mention it, uh, it goes into great detail about the event of the Lucifer Rebellion. And the Lucifer Rebellion was really a local event. It only occurred in our local universe. And it only occurred in the specific uh, constellation, which is a hundred systems, a constellation is sort of like if you think of states and a state is comprised of cities, uh, uh, well, Nor- Norlishadek is kind of like a state within the greater country of Nebadon. That's sort of a, a parallel. And so when the Lucifer Rebellion took place, uh, what was it, about uh, 300,000 years ago, 250,000 years ago, it had a, a very bad effect on not only our system, because uh, Lucifer was a high son of order. He was a Lananandic son of the Lananandic order. Literally a child of, of the creator son and the divine spirit. I mean, these less, lesser sons are the literal spiritual children of Michael and the divine minister. And these sons' jobs are to go and help prepare the ascendant mortals of these worlds of time and space. And so it's not often... In fact, it's very rare, and the Arantia book says it's only occurred three times in the entire universe of Nebadon where there was an actual rebellion, uh, an attempt to uh, break off. And Lucifer, you know, the story is detailed in part two of the Arantia book, and it talks about not only its effect 
an impact on the system, but also on our world as well. And it sort of presages the later revelation of how Caligastia also fell and the effect it had on the Urantia peoples, uh, specifically the colored races, because it happened again about 500,000 years ago, and uh, there was real war in heaven, as they say. So that's very interesting reading in part two of the book. And I think that pretty much summarizes it. It gets more into the spiritual nature of humanity. And it's just, it's, it's the shortest of the three sections, but it contains so much information that's, it talks about the celestial artisans. Uh, it really goes into detail about the different personalities and what they do. And always, by the way, is the message the same. It's an intelligently organized creation, and it has evolved over time. Uh, since the beginning when the Trinity emerged and set into motion God's universal plan of growth and perfection. You know, I spoke once with Dr. Meredith Sprunger. He was a prominent member of the Arantia community in the 60s, and he resided in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and he was a one-time pastor, and, and he was a real thought influencer during the 1960s, not just in the Arantia community, but in other areas. I believe he was a professor at Indiana Institute of Technology, and he's written, uh, he wrote the Unabridged Urantia book. Uh, he's had a lot, his, you can find his writings online at the Urantia Foundation or the Fellowship. Just a, uh, just an in, in, incredibly gifted man, uh, someone who carried the torch of the Urantia book almost single-handedly from the 50s to the 70s because I know he had a big impact on a lot of younger people who went on to become prominent members of the foundation and the trustees and so forth. Anyway, he once said uh, when he was describing the Urantia book and its presentation of reality, he said, if life isn't the way that it is, it is described in the Urantia book, it should be. And then he went on to say that up until that point in his life, he'd never really been given a proper explanation of what exactly happens when we die. And he said, this, this book doesn't leave any stone unturned. And that's where he says, you know, if it isn't this way, my God, it's got to be close to it. So to grasp the expansive narrative of the Arantia book, the authors present, I want to just consider this uh, in from paper 57, uh, section 4, paragraph 8. And it talks about our solar system's origin. It says, six billion years ago marks the end of the terminal breakup and the birth of your son, the 56th from the last of the Andronover second solar family. This final eruption of the nebular nucleus gave birth to 136,702 suns, most of them solitary orbs. The total number of suns and sun systems having origin in the Andronover nebula was 1,013,628. The number of the solar system sun is 1,013,572. That's the number of our solar system sun. That's the, the, it, it, at some point, our sun came from the Andronova Nebula, is what they're saying. And there were over a million of these solar orbs produced from that one nebula. And it goes on, and now the great Andronova Nebula is no more. 
but it lives on in the many suns and their planetary families which originated in this mother cloud of space. The final nuclear remnant of this magnificent nebula still burns with a reddish glow and continues to give forth moderate light and heat to its remnant planetary family of 165 worlds, which now evolve or revolve about this venerable mother of two mighty generations of the monarchs of life. And so it's explaining in that brief chapter how our sun came from a greater nebula that was part of a, of a family. It's almost like a nebula that gave birth. It gave birth to the first series, and then it gave birth to another series billions of years later. And our sun was a result of that second birth of all of these solar orbs. That's a pretty spectacular concept, isn't it? I'm sure, uh, I'm sure Mr. Tung probably has found the music and the visuals to fit that wonderful concept. Um, and so part two then becomes a preparatory guide to assist us in understanding what is ahead. And then from there, we head over to part three, the history of our world, which probably leave, leaves uh, or, or needs less uh, explanation because it's obviously pertinent. But I, I would like to go over some of the key points in our next podcast and talking about the way that the the way that it's laid out. Part three is laid out in a very specific uh, way, and it's it's quite revealing, and it's also fun to talk about. So we'll cover that in the next uh, podcast. We'll also look forward to, of course, Michael's birthday is coming up on August 21st, and I would encourage you to check out the foundation website, urantia.org, also the fellowship website, which you can all of you can find on my website, urantiaradio.net. I'm sure there are going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Zoom celebrations uh, celebrating Michael and his birthday coming up on August 21st, which is only a couple of weeks away. So and we may go back uh, and look at, we'll maybe grab a, a part or an excerpt from his life and, and, and we'll give some attention to it in our next podcast. Until then, remember, you can always reach out to me at yourantiobookradio at gmail.com. And again, God bless you in your life where you are. Be safe. And thank you again for stopping by. <laughs>